Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We're going to continue in our series on the Holy Spirit. If you have a Bible, why don't you grab it? If you don't, no worries. It'll be up on the screen behind me, but why don't you stand with, and we're going to read three different scriptures that are going to kind of set the framework for us here today. The first is in 1 Peter chapter 1. You can follow along behind, and then we're going to head over to John, and then to Romans, and then I'm going to pray, and then we will get after it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of of his blood. In John chapter 16, John chapter 16, apparently everybody's looking at the screen because I hear no flipping whatsoever. John 16 verses 7 and 8, and then we'll be in verse 13. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, this is Jesus speaking, that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, that being the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then Romans chapter 8, getting all your Bible reading in here, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for Jesus, whose work on the cross pays the penalty for our sin. We thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who unites us, who regenerates us, who seals us, God, who sanctifies and guides and comforts, who makes us one and sends us out, God. And we thank you, Father, for this plan that you've had for each and every one of your created human beings, these purposes that you've brought to pass in Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. And so, God, as we continue on this series, as we continue to introduce ourselves and be introduced to the Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll help us to understand his introduction of himself to us, that we would love him, that we would know him, that we would worship him, that we would enjoy him for everything that he says that he is, and that he would empower us, God, for the purposes and plans they have for us. Thank you for Damascus Road, East and West. God, do miraculous, beautiful, redemptive things in our midst for your glory and our joy, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So this past Sunday was Father's Day, and my wife... Uh, for Father's Day, got me a membership to Ford's Gym. Anyone heard of Ford's Gym? Yeah, my philosophy on gyms is that you should come out sweaty and slightly dirty, and Ford's Gym accomplishes both of those. It's kind of the typical dude's gym. When I was a younger guy, uh, I was into all like the lifting and boxing and all that kind of stuff, so it's a cool gym for me. And uh, my wife got me this membership because I had told her that I wanted to think, I was thinking about maybe starting to box again. And then I went, and they got this big gym, you know, ring in the middle of the gym, 
and there was this guy in it who was doing some training, and he was big and fast, and I thought to myself, maybe I'll just do these bicep curls. Um, so, uh, interesting thing about boxing. Uh, lots of people, if I ask my wife to sit down and watch boxing, she'll be like, no, it's so gross, you know? And, uh, and I actually am a huge fan of boxing because I think it's the closest equivalent that we have to human chess. Uh, there's lots of things that are going on. It's very, actually, intellectual, intellectual sport if you uh, know what to look for. And lots of times, whenever two dudes get in the ring together and they're all vaselined up and all that kind of thing, they'll spend the first couple rounds and they'll just kind of dance around one another and, you know, all that kind of... And, and, and if you haven't watched a lot of boxing or if you haven't ever been in a ring, you're like, what are they doing? Uh, it doesn't look like they're doing anyone. Just hit somebody, right? I've heard lots of guys at BW3 say, hey, just hit somebody, man. Here's what they're doing. They are, uh, they are essentially playing chess. If I do this, what do you do? If I do this, what do you do? If I lean in, do you lean in? And they're trying to get an idea for the tendencies of the fighter because if I do this and you lean that way enough times, what do I know to do? I go this way and then, ba-ding, I win, right? So boxing is one of these kind of reactionary, uh, strategic kind of sports that if you've done it enough times and been in a ring and gotten punched in the face enough, you, uh, you enjoy it. I think it's actually very closely equivalent to what the enemy of God, his name is Satan, has done with our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Now hang with me, all right? You're like, why you got to tie everything into boxing? Because everything ties into boxing, all right? <laughs> and the World Cup, I might add. Um, I think that the enemy has, has allowed there to be enough confusion and, and there's enough mystery around the Holy Spirit that I find that a lot of Christians do one of two things. When the Holy Spirit comes up, they either just kind of freeze, like, I don't know anything about him, I don't really want to talk about him, I get uncomfortable, I've seen weird stuff on TV, and so they just freeze. Or they start to react, right? They start to, I don't want to be that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to be connected to that, I don't, or I do want to be connected to that, I want that. And, and I've noticed that lots of times when the Holy Spirit comes up, there's one of two reactions. There's either a, oh no, that gets weird, or there's a very underreact or overreact mentality around the Holy Spirit. And I think that's exactly what the enemy of God wants. He wants us to be off kilter. He wants us to be, you know, herky-jerky. He wants us to be frozen. He wants us to be easy to hit, as it were. And so when we came to this series, we put together a little bit of a vision statement for it. And it's this, that we want to know, worship, and enjoy the Holy Spirit for who he says that he is. For who he says that he is. Not for who your buddy says that he is. Not for who the guy on TV says that he is. Not for, I read a book, or I read an article, or someone told me, or someone. Who he says that he is. The Bible says that the author of the scripture is the Holy Spirit. And so when we read about the Holy Spirit in the scripture, the Holy Spirit is introducing us to him. And so what we see, we can trust and we don't want to be presumptuous and say, no, that's not true, or no, I don't like that. And equally, we don't want to overreact, and we don't underreact, and we don't want to try to fit a label, and we don't want to try to get away from a label. We want to say, God, teach us who your Holy Spirit is, introduce us to yourself. And whatever that makes us, we're good being. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to spend our understanding of the Holy Spirit trying to not be something, 
or trying to go get something. We're going to trust that the Holy Spirit will introduce himself to us as he sees fit. And our job is to receive it, to enjoy it, and to worship him as he is, in fact, God. Amen? Amen. All right. So a couple of things that we've learned. We saw that the Holy Spirit is not a manifestation of God. He's not a creation of God, but he's the third person of the Trinity. We saw that he's not an it. He's a he. He's not a mist. He's not a force. He's not a Jedi. He is a he. And as a he, he can have relationships. He has emotions. He does communicate and can be communicated with. And so we have the opportunity to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit who is a person and who is God. If you have a relationship with God, you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you have a relationship with God. We saw that the most miraculous thing that the Holy Spirit does is save sinners. The most miraculous thing that the Holy Spirit does is save sinners. I told you on October 18th, 1994, I was 16 years old. The Holy Spirit drew me. The Holy Spirit regenerated me. And the Holy Spirit sealed me. And every day since 1994, October 18, the Holy Spirit has preserved my redemption, preserved my regeneration, and he will continue to do so until he delivers me to the Father. That's what scripture says. The most miraculous thing that he does is take someone who is dead and makes them alive. Someone who is bound for hell and seals their eternal estate in perfect, communal, eternal worship of Jesus. If you're in here today and God has saved you by his grace, that's where you're headed. And the one who did that is the Holy Spirit. And so today, we're going to spend some time talking about if you are somebody that the Holy Spirit has saved, what does an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit look like? What does it look like to be spirit-filled? What does it look like to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? What What does the Holy Spirit say he does? And how do we get the opportunity to respond to that? And I'm going to give you three things. And what I want you to do is I want you to, as you're listening, ask the Holy Spirit to tell you whether or not he's at work in your life. And to say to him, if I don't have you fully functioning in my life, I want that. I want you to accomplish that. I just need you to show me what you want to do so that I can submit myself to it. So you're going to have an opportunity here at the end of this teaching to make a decision, to ask some questions, to pray some prayers in community. And so I hope that you'll do that. Three things that I want you to know. The Holy Spirit, number one, sanctifies and comforts. Number two, guides and intercedes. Number three, unites and sends. Okay? And hopefully I'll be able to explain that so that makes a little bit more sense to you. The first thing that I want you to see that the Holy Spirit does, if you are a spirit-filled person, when I say if you are a spirit-filled person, what I mean by that is if you're a Christian. I don't mean if you're a Christian, but you're not spirit-filled, because I'm making the assumption that the Holy Spirit's going to do his work of filling you if he has saved you. So if you're a Christian and you're fully functioning in relationship with the Holy Spirit, the first thing that he's going to do is he's going to sanctify you. He's going to sanctify you. Peter says that to the individuals that he writes to in his first epistle, to the elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of of the Spirit. Now, sanctification is a big, hairy word. The root word of it is sanctus, which means holy. And if you do a, the whole shebang on it, it simply means to, to make holy, to set apart or to make holy. But for our purposes, I want you to think about it this way. In making us holy, 
The Holy Spirit makes us like someone. And who is that someone? Who is it? Jesus. You can say it a little bit louder, all right? I know it's summer and it's humid and World Cup's on, you're excited about that, you and Josh, all right? But you can say Jesus a little bit louder, all right? So sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in making us more like Jesus. That's what it is. Now, if, if you're like me, the idea of the Holy Spirit sanctifying you or sanctifying me, it makes me a little bit nervous, if I have to be completely honest. Because I tend to think about the sanctification of the Holy Spirit as being painful, as changing me, transforming me, meaning he's probably going to take something from me, he's going to do something to me, he's going he's to make something bad happen so that I can wrap my head around bad things happening for good purposes, and I'm not always sure that I want that, right? I'm not always sure that I want that. So let me add to this sanctification process something that's very important for you to understand. In John chapter 16, Jesus says to the disciples, hey, I got to go. And what would their response to, I need to go, what would have been like? Would they have been like, cool? No, they would have been, what? What What do you mean you got to go? And he says, and I need to go so that I can send the comforter. If I don't go, he can't come. And trust me when I tell you, you want him to come. So Jesus addresses their fear, not with an idea, but with a person. And that person is going to make them look more like Jesus, and here's the way that he's going to do it. He's going to comfort them. Now, when you think about this word comfort, you often think of, oh, it's cool, buddy, like I do with my kids, right? We'll put a Band-Aid on it. Oh, that's not what the word actually means. The word means to come to one side, to come to one side. And the idea here is that the work of the Holy Spirit is that he is going to make us more like Jesus, but he's not going to do it from across the room, and he's not going to do it in, in this real kind of, oh, sense. He's go, what's he going to do? He's going to come right beside us. He's going to come right up into our side, and he's going to put his arm around us, and he's going to say, listen, let's go toward the purposes and the plans that the Father has for you. He's not going to leave us alone to do it. He's going to accomplish it by being in relationship with us, by speaking to us and us to him, by being at our side, by comforting us for the purpose of making us look more like Jesus. Now, what are some of the things that he uses to accomplish this? I want to give you four. Four things. The first is that he uses the scripture. He uses the Bible. This is why when we did our Growing Grace series, the first thing that we said was that we serve a God who speaks, so we want you to read your Bible and pray. Can I tell you something? You show me a Christian who has no relationship with God's word, and I'll show you a Christian that the Holy Spirit isn't fully functioning in. Can't have it. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, and the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to make us more like, more like Jesus. And so when I put that on my shelf until I come on Sunday, well, actually, you guys don't even bring it on Sunday because, you know, you know, it's up on the screen, but that's a different story. Yeah. You're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. John 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. The Holy Spirit changes me as I receive from him through his word and as I pray and he intercedes on my behalf. If you want to be somebody who's spirit-filled, listen, you have to have a relationship with God's word. You have to be somebody who's praying. Now, you don't have to do that at some highly theological level. Just Grab one of the Bibles, 
start in the book of Genesis or the book of John or the book of Romans, I wouldn't recommend Leviticus or Revelation, all right? Anything other than those two, just start and say, Holy Spirit, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want to do. I want to find out. And so I'm going to read and I'm going to pray at whatever level I'm going to start at, and I'm going to trust you to do what you want to do in my life. Secondly, he uses circumstances. He uses circumstances. Now, sometimes he uses painful circumstances. When Peter is writing to the elect exiles in, in the epistle that he wrote to them, he's writing to a group of people who are displaced from their homes because of the belief that they have in Jesus. And what does he say about that? He says that it's according to the foreknowledge of God and for the sanctification of the Spirit. In other words, God knew that they were going to be suffering in this way, and God has a purpose that's bigger than their immediate suffering. Listen, some of you, you go through profoundly, profoundly difficult times. Profoundly difficult times. And the Holy Spirit comes to your side during those. And the Holy Spirit uses those painful times to transform you into the image of Jesus in a way that other circumstances would not. But let me also be clear about this. God doesn't only use painful circumstance. He also uses fantastic circumstance. Remember Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love. Well, that's good. Joy, also good. Peace, good. Goodness, that's good. Have you ever found yourself sitting in a room, the sun's coming in just right, the temperature's perfect, you love everybody that's around, there's great food on the table, there's great music playing in the background, and you kind of sit back and think to yourself, if I could take a picture and reproduce this over and over and over again, that would be fantastic. Who is communicating that to you? The Holy Spirit is. When I look at my kids, and I think, man, the grace of God had given me three kids. Three kids. When I look at my wife, the grace of God had given me a godly, beautiful wife. It's not painful. It's wonderful. But God uses those good things, those good circumstances to teach me about himself, to endear my heart to him. And whenever those that those moments of clarity come to me, whether painful or joyful, those circumstances, those are the Holy Spirit talking to me, and the Holy Spirit's aim is to come to my side and to point me to Jesus. Number three, uses community. So scripture, circumstance, and community. Two types. One is peer. Peer community. This is the reason that we do community groups. Because there are times where God has something that he wants to say to you, but you can't hear it from anyone other than somebody else. You need to hear it from somebody else. I was with somebody the other day, and, and I have a relationship with them, and we had talked through some things, and they had listened to a podcast, and they, they were like, yeah, this dude said this, isn't that good? And I was like, I said that to you. And they're like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. What did they need? They needed broader community, and that's a good thing. The Holy Spirit uses community to speak to us at a peer level. There are times that I, I'm, I, I come to a circumstance and I'm, I'm so angsty and I'm so confused and I don't, man, I sit down with somebody and this and this and this and they're like, oh yeah, da, da, da. Thanks. Right? The Holy Spirit speaking through his people when I'm in community. You show me somebody who's in isolation and I'll show you somebody who isn't getting all that the Holy Spirit has for him. This is the reason that we don't do church on a website. You got to come here. Be with flesh and blood. 
This is the reason that we gather in other places because, listen, the Holy Spirit speaks to that. Here's the other one. Community that is authority. Now, in our country, the American dream, autonomy, independence, parentheses, rebellion, we don't like authority, but God speaks through authority. God speaks through bosses, teachers, cops, coaches, pastors. God speaks through. And, and here's the thing you need to understand. God can speak through broken vessels, can he? You got to be careful when you say, I can't trust. God can't speak through them because they're so broken. Really? God's not capable of having redemptive purposes through broken means and ends? Man, that's my story. <laughs> it's still my story. God redeeming a broken guy and using this continuing broken guy to, by his grace and for his glory, at times use me for eternal ends and purposes. Be careful. Be careful if you find yourself in a place where you're not submitted to anyone. God speaks through authority. And if you can't find someone to be submitted to, you better go find someone and say to him, listen, I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to submit myself to your perspective. I'm going to submit myself to the Holy Spirit's ability to speak through you. Get in a community group. Have relationships. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And then lastly, he convicts. So scripture, circumstance, community, and conviction. And here's what I've noticed about conviction is that lots of times conviction is the last thing to come. But there's two types of conviction. One is I'm convicted, as in don't do that anymore, dummy. So my wife and I or my friend and I, we get into a conversation and he says something that I don't like and I say, you know what? And the Holy Spirit goes, da 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 don't do that. Or I'm about to buy or I'm about to do, ah, don't do that. I'm convicted of sin. The other side to, con convict, to being convicted is conviction. That's true. We should do that. We should accomplish that, right? Like moving to Madison for me. Conviction. I wasn't convicted to move to Madison. I had conviction. And that conviction was in community and under authority and based on some circumstances, and through prayer and time in God's word, it, that conviction came to pass, just like in community and under authority and based on certain cir circumstances. And as I read God's word, I come to the conclusion, man, I'm a broken dude. I'm convicted. Or, man, that's so true. I can base my life on that conviction. So the Holy Spirit transforms me into Jesus, getting up beside me, using his word, using prayer, using circumstances, using community, using authority to convict and develop conviction. Is that happening for you? Should be. Should be. If it isn't, you need to ask yourself why. You need to ask yourself why, because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Holy Spirit guides and intercedes. Guides and intercedes. The aim of the Holy Spirit is to speak of and glorify Jesus. That's where he's going. Every single night before I go to bed, I walk into my boy's room. We have three bedrooms. You walk to the end of our hall. Ours is on the right. Emma's is straight ahead and the boys are to the left. And every night I go into my boy's bedroom and I grab my oldest son and I take him to the restroom to avoid, you know, stuff during the night. And so... I grab him, 
And uh, I pick him up, and I love on him, and I hug him. And I was telling Wes, one of my favorite times of the day is sometimes he just wakes up a little bit, and he starts, like, rubbing my back. He's like, and I'm like, oh, I love you. Don't ever get old. All right. And so I take him to the restroom, and, you know, we do our thing. <laughs> I wake him up just enough. And then he's standing, and my, my job is to get him back to his bed. And it's funny because he'll get done and I'll get him all suited back up and that kind of deal and he, right? Or sometimes the best part is when he gets all suited up, he just starts walking. Like, where are you going? He's completely out. Or if he starts talking, like, Dad, can I have a sin in? What? And sometimes I mess with him, like, what? No, and then he's not awake and he says funny stuff and then I put on Facebook and get lots of likes and that's... That's a different story. But here's the deal. My job is to guide him. And so here's what I do. I, I, I put my hands on both of his shoulders and I guide him so he doesn't walk into the bathtub. So he doesn't walk in the corner of, of... And I guide him until he's all the way back in his bed. And then I put the blanket on him. But along the way, he says things to me based on his curtain reality. And sometimes it's like, Dad, can I have some candy? What? Can I have can I have Do you want you want candy? Yeah. No, you can't have candy. And sometimes it's dad, I'm hot. All right, let's take your shirt off. Or dad, I want a drink. Okay, I'll get you a drink. It's a crass way to understand it, but I think it's effective in this regard. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Have you had times in your life where you're just kind of I don't know. Have you had times in your life where you're going the wrong way? Have you had times in your life where you didn't know where to go? Have you had times in your life where you're asking something you shouldn't be asking or a way you shouldn't be asking or a time you shouldn't be asking? Dad, can I have candy? No! Who does that? In Noah's life is daddy. In my life, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes alongside me and at times where I'm... Or at times where I'm going the wrong way. Or at times when I'm saying, Dad, can I... And here's how I picture it. I picture sometimes when I'm worked up or I'm angsty or I'm hurting and I pray that the Holy Spirit's standing next to the Father like, look, here's what he really meant to say. <laughs> he does that all the time. He's crazy like that. Always walk in the bathtub, ask him for candy. The Holy Spirit guides me when I don't know what's going on, when I'm not quite awake, where I want something that I shouldn't want at a time that I shouldn't want. The Holy Spirit guides and intercedes on our behalf. Now let me tell you why I feel like this is an incredibly encouraging truth. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. I want you to listen to this verse. Romans chapter 8. We're actually going to start in verse 14, which will not be up on the screen. <laughs> if you had a Bible, you would know. <laughs> For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's a great truth, but let me apply it in this way. I know people who are terrified of making the wrong decision when it comes to God. And here's how we say it. We say things like, man, I just want to do the right thing. I want to do the wrong thing. 
And I know people who they're very angsty and they're very anxious and they're, they're petrified of, what if I was supposed to step right and I step left? Then what? And what I've also noticed is that people who are terrified of doing the wrong thing when it comes to God end up doing nothing. I want you to, if you're taking notes, jot down a quote that's going to sound a little crazy to you at the beginning. It's from a guy by the name of Augustine. Here's what he said. Love God and do what you will. Now, when I first read that, I was like, what did he just say? Do what you will? Like, I can do whatever I want? And here's the beautiful thing about this. Love God, my values are in line with God, my purposes are in line with God, and do what you will. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's by your side and He's not going to let you walk into the bathtub. He's not going to let you walk into the bathtub. Listen, some of us, you're like, what should I do? What do you want to do? Lots of freedom, lots of opportunity in the belief that, listen, the Holy Spirit isn't going to walk me into traffic, and if he does walk me into the bathtub or into traffic, he's going to use it for what? My good and my sanctification. He's bigger than my bad choices. He's bigger than my bad choices. You know what my son is not concerned about after he goes pee? Anything. Isn't our Heavenly Father better than me? Isn't the Holy Spirit more capable than me? Listen, some of us, the reason that we're always anxious isn't because we want to do the right thing, it's because we're slaves to fear. And it's an idol, and because we don't trust the Holy Spirit to get us back into bed, as it were. Or to do what he promised to do, which was to transform us into the image of Jesus. And sometimes he takes us through beautiful circumstances, and sometimes he takes us through painful circumstances. But at no time is he anywhere but right by your side. And at no time does his purpose change that purpose, you looking more like Jesus and bringing glory to him. And so think of it in this way. The Spirit would say to us, I'm going to get you where the Father wants you to go. And I'm going to make you look more like Jesus along the way. And I'm going to be with you at every step. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Always in line with the Father, always in accordance with the work of Jesus. Always present, always powerful, always at work. And so some of us, we have decisions that we should make, that we're free to make. We have decisions that we're just free to make. There is no what if. If you go right, the Holy Spirit is capable of turning you left. Relax, rest, trust him, be in relationship with him. Love God and do what you will. Love God and do what you will. A spirit-filled person then, according to this caricature that we've drawn up so far in the, the four weeks that we've been with this, is, is, listen, is a handful of things. It's someone who's graciously drawn by the Holy Spirit, powerfully regenerated by the Holy Spirit, eternally sealed by the Holy Spirit according to the plan of the Father and the work of Jesus. If you're in here today 
and you would say, God has saved me, your spirit-filled person according to the grace of God. A spirit-filled person then is gratefully committed and submitted to the work of the Spirit to make us more like Jesus. Listen, you show me a Christian that doesn't want to look like Jesus, and I'll be straight with you, I'm going to question whether or not they're a Christian, but I promise you they aren't receiving the full work of the Holy Spirit. Because I know that the Holy Spirit develops conviction and convicts us of sins. We look like Jesus. And so if you're not hearing that, if you're not committed to that, if you're not submitted, if you're not saying to the Holy Spirit, do what you will. Run me into traffic or run me into a dining room table with the best of friends. I trust you. That's what a spirit-filled person is. A spirit-filled person is in relationship to the Spirit through prayer and God's Word. A Holy Spirit-filled person is in community with God's people and submitted to authority. And a spirit-filled person has deep conviction and radical courage. You see why I get concerned that there's so many things out there about the Holy Spirit that... Ah. Because that's a, a very straightforward, nice and stable, incredibly miraculous profoundly redemptive, Holy Spirit-empowered list. You can't do any of those things without Him. And what I want us to get away from is the woo-hoo-hoo-hoo around the Holy Spirit and back to the Holy Spirit-filled person is somebody saved by God's grace, committed to God's people, submitted to the transformation of their life by the Holy Spirit to look like Jesus in relationship with God's Word, has deep conviction, repenting of sin, and willing to go wherever God wants them. That's a spirit-filled person. It's a spirit-filled person. Now, this is a work that God does in each one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus. And we'll get into some of the gifts and all of that kind of stuff starting next week. But, but that's a spirit-filled person, and God does that in each one of us. What, then, is the church? What then is the church? Where does the church play this role? In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, God says that he saves a group of people and that he makes them one body with one what? With one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You know what the church is? It's a group of people who are, have been individually saved by God, who are being individually sanctified by God, who are individually called by God, and God takes those ones, puts them all together, and makes them how many? One. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He accomplishes a oneness of His miraculous work in each one of us that's compounded when we come together and are a spirit-filled church. Spirit-filled people put together to become a spirit-filled church. And the same work that he wants to do in you is the same work that he wants to do in us as one body. He wants to sanctify our body. He wants to comfort our body. He wants to guide our body. He wants to intercede on our body. He wants to unite our body. It's what he wants to do. I want you to look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 then. 
Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus has ascended, is ascending back to the Father. I want you to look at what he says. But you will receive power when the what? Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when he's talking to you, he's actually talking to them, isn't he? He's talking to the apostles. He's not just talking to Peter. He's talking to 11 dudes. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you, and you will be witnesses in Madison, in the forest, in Green Bay, in Chicago, in the upper Midwest. What do you say? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. That's why we're excited about what Josh is doing. In October, Josh is going to go to Togo. Where's that? Pretty darn close to the end of the earth. <laughs> and what's he going to do there? He says, a spirit-filled man going to connect with a spirit-filled community for the purpose of seeing people drawn, regenerated, sealed, sanctified, guided, comforted, interceded, united, and sent. That's what he's going to do. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's as miraculous as seeing a dead man raised to new life. What does the Holy Spirit do? He takes every one of us and who he's doing this miraculous work that only he can do and he puts us all together and then he sends us to every corner of our city. The plan for mission in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit seals or the Holy Spirit draws, regenerates, seals and sends and wherever that Holy Spirit filled person is, mission is occurring. Mission is occurring. And we come back together. We're worshiping together. We're hearing from the Holy Spirit together. We're blessing one another. We're passing the peace, as it were. And we're going back out. Come together, going back out. United sent, united sent, united sent. Spirit-filled people, spirit-filled church, united and sent. When you look at your life, do you see the Holy Spirit seeking to sanctify you? Do you see the Holy Spirit seeking to guide you? Do you see the Holy Spirit seeking to unite you? And do you see the Holy Spirit sending you? These are all works that he does. And we have an opportunity to speak to the Holy Spirit individually and as a church and say, introduce yourself to us and give us everything that you have for us. We trust you. Wherever you want to take us, we're going to go. We say yes, because we trust you to do the work that you promise, to transform us to Jesus, to glorify Jesus for our joy, our blessing, and addressing the brokenness of our city. That's what a Holy Spirit-filled Holy Spirit person is. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes. I want you to talk to him. I'm going to pray then, and I'll give you some direction of how you can respond. Go ahead and take a few minutes. And then trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, some ways that you can respond. The first would be just to sing, to praise Him. And you sing individually and we sing corporately. The other would be to pray. There will be some people to my back left, your back right, who will be available to pray with and for you. And we're going to pray individually and we're going to pray together. And the other is that we take communion. We do this every week and we ask you to come up individually, but as a body... We remember the work of Jesus, the thing the Holy Spirit uses to draw, save, and seal us. So you can sing, you can pray.
and can come up and take communion. God, we thank you today for your grace in sending us the Comforter. God, for not leaving us alone, but to empower us to look more like your Son, to empower us to be united to one another, to be empowered to be sent as missionaries, that wherever we are, Jesus is being proclaimed in miraculous and powerful ways, and wherever we are, the opportunity for resurrection is there. God, we thank you for all that you do through your Holy Spirit. And God, we want to know him. We want to worship him. We want to enjoy him for all that he is and all that he says that he is. And so God, would you make us spirit-filled people and would you make us a spirit-filled church that's a beacon of light of the gospel and of your grace to this city. We thank you, God. We love you. Receive our praise. Receive our gifts. Receive our remembrance and our prayer for your glory and our joy in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.